Today our reading comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is, com um, that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields with pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Brand new teaching series. You guys ready for this? Yes, yes. Come home for Christmas. The robe of righteousness is what we're going to talk about this weekend. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. We're looking at verses 11 through 24, and then we'll look at the verses after that also. I also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. Grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. Part of the intro here, nothing captures our emotions more than coming home for the holidays. One of the greatest homecoming stories in the Bible is the parable of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returned home after squandering his property in reckless living, shockingly, his father gave him three gifts. He received three gifts from the father that every child of God receives from their father. We've got it there on your notes. Robe of righteousness, which represents acceptance, ring of authority, significance, and then shoes of sonship, security. Just take a look at that. That's, that's what he gave to him, and we're going to spend the rest of the year looking at all three of those, and today we're going to talk about the robe of righteousness, but uh, let me talk a little bit more about this. Every gift the father gave him was a gift you give to a son and not a servant, and uh, the son, when he came back home, he wanted to be treated like a servant because of his bad behavior, but the father still treated him like a son. And the word sons, or uh, that, that idea is very generic in the Bible. The word sons, plural. The Bible calls women sons, but it also calls men the bride of Christ. And so we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, but we are all sons because of birthright, not because of our behavior. Because of birthright rather than our behavior. Now, let me kind of lay a foundation for this series, and so I want to just kind of briefly talk about all three of these gifts, acceptance, significance, security, robe of righteousness, ring of authority, shoes of sonship. Everyone, everyone on this planet is seeking and trying to find acceptance, significance, and security. And when we don't, we, we are mired our lives are mired in emotional and psychological issues. This is how God created us. We desperately need acceptance, significance, and security. Everybody on this planet, whether you're a believer or non-believer, atheist, it doesn't matter. This is what you need. You were created with a need for all three of these. Now, we all wanna, want to know that we are people who are worthy to be known and accepted, that our lives matter, that they're significant, and that there is a stability or a security in our lives. Let me just share with you a quick story of what this looks like in our lives. I heard the story of a guy who was a writer who wanted to make a difference with his writing, but he felt 
like his writing career wasn't going anywhere and no one was buying his stuff. And so he said, occasionally, I start to wonder, what am I really here for? What am I really living for? And then, and then he said, when I look at my two daughters, then I know my existence is justified. My daughters justify my existence. They give my life meaning, the acceptance, significance, and security I long for. Now, it could have been hyperbole to express his love for his daughters. That could have just been hyperbole. But, but I know this. There are a lot of parents who are living for the happiness of their children. Their justification or validation is in the well-being of their children. Now, this could be applied to any number of things in our lives. Maybe not for you, it's not your children. Maybe it's marriage, getting married, romance, money, achievement, achievements, career, acquisitions, home, cars, whatever it might be. But we all struggle with this, trying to feel, feed the need for our acceptance, significance, and security in our lives. And let me go back to the story of what this man said, that his children justified his existence. If your children are the justification of your existence, then you will destroy them. Your passion for your children's happiness and success is completely selfish. I know that's hard, but that's true. You're, you're gonna crush them under the weight of your need for, for acceptance and significance and security. It, it, it's, it's not truly, uh, really about them if you're looking to them for that sense of acceptance, security, and significance. It's about you and your need for those three things. So if I'm a good parent, and my kids are happy and successful, and I feel justified. But if anything goes, with, with, goes wrong with any of them, which it eventually will, something will go wrong, you will melt down and not be in any position to help them. You won't be the parent you always thought you were. Now, I, I shared that story to kind of build a foundation for this series because all of us, all of us desperately need acceptance, significance, and security. We need that in our lives. And so oftentimes we try to get it from something in creation as opposed to the creator. That's what this younger son was doing. He took his father's inheritance and thought, I know better, I can go out and find all that I'll ever need in this crazy wild living. And he came up empty. And when, the, when he came back, what did the father give him? What he, what he was searching for, what he needed. It was there all along. Pretty amazing story. So everyone is struggling to justify their existence. Everyone is striving for all three of these, acceptance, significance, security. And when we come home to the Father, we receive all three of these and even more. This son received every one of these, robe of righteousness, ring of authority, shoes of sonship, and more. They butchered the fattened calf and celebrated. It's an amazing story. So let's take a look at this, the robe of righteousness. What is this? What is this gift? Why is that so important to us? Why do we need it? And so the robe of righteousness, let's unwrap this gift. So the robe of righteousness is acceptance. So three questions we're looking at. What is it? What it isn't? It's important to know what it isn't. And then also, what difference will it make in our lives if we really have this, if we're living in the reality of this robe of righteousness? It's quite spectacular when you really understand this. I don't think that any of us really live in the reality of this, of this gift to the degree that we could or should. In Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and reads from Isaiah 61. Maybe you're familiar with this. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of this. So if you were to go back to Isaiah 61 it tells us that it's referring to the year of the Lord's favor, which is when Jesus showed up on this planet. And in verse 10, it tells us a little bit about this 
idea of this robe of righteousness. Listen to what it says. In the year of the Lord's favor, he will clothe us with garments of salvation. He will cover us with the robes of righteousness. There it is in the Old Testament. Now, what is that? What is a robe of righteousness? I think that 2 Corinthians 5.21 helps us to understand that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, listen to me, for our sake, you and I, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, talking about the cross, all of our sin, shame, guilt, was placed upon Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He was sinless so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Robe of righteousness. So here's your first fill in the blank. Righteousness is a right standing, right relationship with God. To have a right relationship with God. To have a relationship with God. To know God intimately. To know that you're going to heaven when you die. But not only that, just to have God in your life in this life. And now what this is, and oftentimes when people think of, uh, and you need to know that righteousness and justification are one and the same. So when we talk about righteousness, we're talking about justification. And oftentimes I'll ask people, what is the definition of justification? Most of us have all defined justification like this. Just as if you have never sinned. That's the definition of justification. How many know what I'm talking about there? Maybe you've heard that definition before. And that's not adequate. I mean, it it's falls short. Because if you're defining justification just with just as if you've never sinned, forgiveness of sins, there's more to it, believe me. There is absolutely more to that. In fact, this is what it is. It's on your notes. It's a legal act of God by which all of my sin is transferred to Christ's account, and then all of Christ's righteousness is transferred to my account. So it's more than just forgiveness of sins. I have his righteousness. I stand before God perfectly righteous. I have the righteousness of Jesus. Now, oftentimes people ask me, well, how did the Old Testament people get saved? Same way we do. Faith in Christ. They didn't know about Christ, although Jesus prophesied throughout the Old Old Testament, but they look ahead, we look back to the cross. And in fact, in Romans chapter 4, listen to what Paul writes in there. He says in 4.3 of Romans, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Same word. that We have, a, we have a count, an account and that his righteousness is placed in our account. And then he says in verse 6 of that same chapter, Romans 4, David speaks of the one who counts righteousness apart from works. It's not something we can earn. A righteousness, right standing before God. And then in verses 23 and 24 of Romans chapter 4, he he goes on, Paul says, he goes on, okay, this is what they experienced in the Old Testament, but this is also for us. This applies to us also. It will be counted to us, this righteousness counted to us who believe in Christ. So in essence, when you look at the cross, Jesus is saying to us, you give me all of your sin and I'll give you all of my righteousness and we'll call it a deal. That's absolutely amazing. That's what he's done for us. My spiritual poverty and debt is transferred to Christ's account and his spiritual wealth is transferred to my account. Oh, yeah, 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 I've heard all that stuff before, Pastor Ray. No, 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 no. I'm telling you, that should create within you a sense of wonder and awe and indebtedness unlike you've ever experienced before, an indebtedness to God. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit more. Next couple, fill in the blanks on your notes. God considers our sins fully forgiven. That means no more condemnation. He will never, ever, ever hold our sin against us, past, present, and future, That is absolutely amazing. He'll never hold our sin against us. Romans 8.1. Fully forgiven, but also considers us perfectly righteous in his sight. So the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are fully forgiven, and you are perfectly righteous in his sight. I was reflecting on that this last week, and I don't think that any of us live in the reality of that. I don't think we do. 
because I think it would make a major difference in our practical righteousness. See, this is positional righteousness. I stand before God perfect, but practically, we still stumble, we still struggle, we still have sin in our lives. And we will struggle in our lives practically to the degree we're not living in the reality of what we are positionally. So the way that we overcome sin in our lives is to go back to who we already are in Christ Jesus, all that he's done for us. And when the reality of that takes hold of our life, it begins to change us in how we live out our lives. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And I don't think we live in the reality of this. I mean, if we were practically living this out, we would be less anxious and angry and depressed. We would have more fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, and peace, regardless of our circumstances. If we knew that all of our sins are completely forgiven, we're fully forgiven, no no more condemnation, and, and we had the perfect righteousness of Christ, we stand before God right now, And he sees us as he's looking at Christ. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Forgiveness says, you may go, you are free from the penalty of sin. Righteousness says, you may come into all my love, presence, and provision. (laughs) You see, we're traitors, guilty of high treason against a holy God. So here's what God does. This is the gospel. This is what the Bible teaches. God takes traitors and he fully forgives our treason, but he doesn't stop there. He brings us into his home, the Father's home, to feast at his table and become his dearly loved children who he protects and provides forever. I mean, that's amazing. That's, yeah. That should create within us, as I said, this sense of wonder and awe and, and, and indebtedness to God forever. So, so let me ask you this. How much does the Father love the Son, his Son Jesus? That's how much he loves you. How much does the Father adore the Son? That's how much he adores you. How much does the Father rejoice in the Son within that triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? That's how much he rejoices over you. That's that's the idea of this perfect righteousness. That's amazing. Listen, the only eyes in the universe that matter loves you, adores you, and rejoices over you unlike anything you've ever experienced. That's the gospel message. And that's what happened to this, this son who took the father's inheritance and blew it away. And he comes back home and the father sees him at a distance and runs out to him. And literally in the Greek it says he smothers him with kisses. Now remember the, the son had kind of worked on a little speech that he was gonna give to the father and he's kind of reciting it. Okay, I know what I'll do. I'll say this and this and this, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the guy doesn't even get the whole speech out. I mean, he's cut in mid-flow of the speech. The father just before, oh, never mind that. Hey, get a robe on his back, ring on his fingers, shoes on his feet. We're celebrating. My son was lost. Now he's found. He was dead. And now he's alive again. What a celebration. See, do you see the picture, this imagery that Jesus is giving us so that we understand the Father heart of God? If you only understood the Father heart of God, oh my goodness, it, 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 would, it would overwhelm you. It would overwhelm you. Father heart of God for each and every one of us. And so the Father sees you as beautiful and radiant as the Son. The Father sees you as if, as if you lived the life Jesus lived and died the death Jesus died The Father's approval frees you from the relentless pressure of having to prove yourself because you are already proven in Christ. If you have the Father's approval, you don't need to fear any disapproval of anyone else on this planet. You have the approval of God. I think we're going to have all eternity to explore that, and we'll never come to the bottom of that or the height or the width or the depth of that. 
so profound. I, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make that alive to your heart because I'm telling you, you're going to face 2022. Yeah, that's right. We're 2021. 2022, like totally different than you've ever faced any new year. You will. It's, it's, it's spectacular. So uh, here's the next thought on your notes. This happens by grace when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Now, let me give you an Old Testament picture of this so you kind of know of what's happening here in this. It's called imputed righteousness is what we've been given into our account. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we have perfect righteousness of Christ. And this is found actually... It's there on your notes, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I won't read all 10 verses here, but there are two Joshuas in the Bible. Moses' successor who led Israel into the promised land is one of those Joshuas. And then there's the high priest Joshua who led Israel back into the promised land after the exile. Now, the name Joshua means God is our salvation. Listen to this story. See if you can get the imagery here of this story. It's a beautiful picture. Zechariah's having this vision. This is what he says in the third chapter. He says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Stop there just for a minute. Anytime in the Old Testament you're reading and it says the angel of the Lord as opposed to an angel of the Lord, it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a Christophany. So this is speaking of Jesus. So Joshua is standing before Jesus and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. See what's happening here? And the Lord said to Satan, I love this, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, exclamation mark, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Did you know that you have an adversary? He's going to take you down. He's going to do everything he can to take you down. Guess how he's going to do that? Guilt, shame, condemnation. Do you ever feel like a failure as a Christian? Do you ever feel condemned? Guess where that's coming from? It's not coming from God. It's coming from your accuser. I mean, it's a perfect image. Imagery here. And then he goes on, so he's rebuked. By the way, from time to time, we need to rebuke Satan in Jesus' name. Jesus is rebuking him. We've given the, we'll talk about it next week, the ring of authority. We've been given that authority and say, get off my back and focus on Christ and look to all he's done. Now, look, look what Christ does here. So he rebukes Satan, and then he goes on and says, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Have I not rescued Joshua and the people of Israel. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in with filthy garments. That's us before Christ. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. Sometimes we need the help of our church family to to remove these filthy garments that we have so that we can begin to live out this positional righteousness practically in our everyday life. We've got imputed righteousness and, and now we need imparted righteousness where it begins to transform our life. And we need the help of of other people in our lives, church family members that help us remove the filthy garments from him. And to him And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away, forgiveness of sins, away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. There's the robe of righteousness. Beautiful picture of what has happened for each and every one of us. The robe of righteousness. And so God rebukes Satan, removes our filthy garments, and robes us with righteousness. I pray to God. I pray to God that that would land on you. And it would not just be a concept in your head, it'd be a reality in your heart. I'm telling you, it will transform your life when you live in the reality of this. And so, um, what it isn't, and this is where we get messed up because we get confused about what this really is. And, um, And so, let me read to you Luke 15, the rest of the story here. And I think it describes perfectly what it isn't. 
it isn't the elder brother in the story. How many are familiar with the elder brother in the story? If you're familiar with this story. So it isn't the elder brother in the story. Now listen to what happens. So, so the younger son comes home. Big celebration, big party happening. And we pick up the story in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, now if he was a healthy elder brother, if he was a uh, if, if he really understood this robe of righteousness that he has, if he understood all the acceptance, significance, security that he had in the Father, he would have celebrated. Does he celebrate? No, not at all. Listen to what it says here. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. That word literally means tenderly pleading with him. But he answered his father. Listen to the attitude of this elder brother. Now, this guy's the quintessential Pharisee. By the way, we have people like this in our American churches. We even have churches that are like this. It's important to be able to make this distinction. And he says to his father, he doesn't even call him father. He's he's very disrespectful. He says, look here. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son, don't even call him his brother, when this son of yours, it's your son, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The father's response landed on me years ago, and it's just, I, it's, I've never been the same as a result of it. It is so crazy profound. If you can understand what the father says to him, and, and if you can live in just a hint of the reality of what the father says, the father responds to him and said, Son, once again, tenderly pleading, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. That is so crazy profound, what we have in Christ. He's telling us, and he's just reminding us what we have in him. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's the end of the story. It's a cliffhanger. Is the elder brother going to come into the party? We don't know. We have no idea. Now, why would Jesus do this? Because when you read this in the context of the whole chapter, Jesus is being criticized by the Pharisees and saying, oh, look at Jesus. He hangs out with sinners. He hangs out with tax collectors. I mean, he hangs out with people that we're not going to hang out with. And so he's criticizing. These guys are criticizing Jesus. And so Jesus gives in rapid fire three stories. The first one just giving us the father heart of God, it's absolutely amazing that, that we serve a God who would leave the 100 to go after the one. That's the God we serve. And so he gives this story of a shepherd with 100 sheep, and one sheep strays away, and the, father, or, and the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And then he talks about the story of a, of a woman who has 10 coins, and, and she loses one of the coins, and she turns over everything in her house, crawling around on her hands and knees to find that other coin. And when she finds that one coin, she celebrates. Of course, the shepherd, when he finds that one sheep, he celebrates. And then he goes from that story to the next story, the coin story, and now to the father. I call it, I think they're both prodigal sons in the sense that they're both lost. And I think and I believe that the elder brother is more lost than the younger brother. It's, a, it's an amazing story when you understand that. He's just trying to get across the father heart of God. You guys don't get it. 
You guys don't understand it. So that's what it isn't. It's not like the elder brother. In fact, let me give you some fill in the blanks here. It's on your notes. So what it isn't, robe of righteousness. It's not going from irreligion to religion. It's not going from being a younger brother to an elder brother. Did you know that most people, when you, when you present the gospel, if you're not really clear about what that gospel means, they actually think that you're inviting them from being a younger brother to becoming an elder brother. And in fact, many times when people reject Christianity, they think they're rejecting kind of elder brother stuff. Because there's a lot of elder brothers in our culture today that claim to be Christians. And I think that's, they get caught up in that, and you need to be very clear. And, and most people would say, oh, there's two ways to live your life. You can be a younger brother or an elder brother. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is actually showing us there's three ways. You can be a younger brother, elder brother, or you can really understand the gospel and be a Christian. And every one of us are in one of those three categories. I've actually seen people go from, from being a younger brother to an elder brother, back to being a younger brother again, back to an elder brother. No, you need to land on the gospel and understand what the gospel is and begin to live that out. You see, sin is more than breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in God's place. In fact, there are two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. There's two ways to get the acceptance, significance, security you desperately need. There's the younger brother way and the elder brother way. Now track with me here, you need to understand this. You need to make sure that you're on, not on either one of those paths. So the younger brother way is that I'll just break all the rules. I'll follow my heart, I'll be true to myself. I'll make up my own rules. I can live however I wanna live. That's, that's liberalism that's predominant in our culture today. That's self-discovery. I can find this acceptance, significance, security on my own. I don't need the father. I, don't, I just want his stuff. I'll take the inheritance, but I'm going to go out and, and live however I want to live. That's one way to be your own savior and Lord. Another way is the elder brother way. It's keeping all the rules. So the younger brother is breaking all the rules. Elder brother is keeping all the rules. It's called moral conformity. It's legalism. I'll keep all the rules. Both are ways to achieve self-justification and control God and others. It's not about going from irreligion to religion. It's not something you achieve, but something you receive. Because the elder brother actually believes that he, re he achieves it. As he's laying out his list of things that he's done, I've perfectly obeyed you. I've, he goes through kind of his list of what a great person he is, that I've achieved it. But this perfect righteousness is not something that you can achieve, it's something that you receive. This is what separates Christianity from every major, major cult and religion. Now think about this. If people were to come up to you and ask you, what's the difference between Christianity? Isn't Christianity just basically another religion just like every other belief system and religion? What would you say? No, it's not, are you kidding me? I mean, you should say it like that. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Do you have any idea what Christianity teaches? Every other belief system, you achieve. You achieve right standing with God. Christianity, you receive right standing with God through Jesus Christ. Do you hear the difference? That's a major difference. One's works righteousness. The other one's grace righteousness. Amazing. Religion says, I obey, therefore, God will accept me and bless me. I get my act together. You almost got that, you get a little bit of that with, uh, with the younger brother because he doesn't really fully understand the grace of his father because he's coming up with a plan. I'll, I'll be one of your hired servants. I'll do better. I can at least achieve that level in my father's home He's, he's working for it. You can see that the elder brother is certainly working for it. The gospel says, no, God accepts and blesses me in Christ, therefore I want to obey. Here's the next thought on your notes. It doesn't produce entitlement, that's the elder brother, but indebtedness, indebtedness. Now, in verse 17 of our text, 
that so this younger brother has this crazy delusional idea that he's gonna be happier by going out and chasing the culture's you know, desires and dreams and everything else, and he winds up in a pig pen, and there's a famine, he's struggling, and then there's a moment in there where it actually says, and he comes to his senses. You guys familiar with that? You guys know what I'm saying? And so I've thought about that. What does that mean, he came to his senses? Now, this is how I've seen it work out in, in a lot of Christians' lives. We have a younger brother, you know, uh, figuratively speak, uh, speaking, or maybe it's not figuratively, literally, and he's out there going crazy, and then he's in the ditch somewhere, and he's out on the street, he's out begging, or whatever, any number of things, and so well-meaning Christians come along, he's in the pig pen, and we hose him off, get him a shower, get him some new clothes, setting him, set him up in an apartment, get him some food, before he comes to his senses, only to find him going right back out doing the very same thing, finding himself in the very same place in the pig pen. I think that we can actually interfere with God's process of transformation in someone's life. They have to come to their senses. And the only way that that can happen sometimes is that we gotta back off a little bit and let that process happen and be sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're not stepping in too early to rescue them and therefore enable them to continue to live the life that they've already been living. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so we've gotta be sensitive to what God's doing. So we gotta have good boundaries and be careful about what we do and how we help people and sometimes it, We've got to let it go, and you pray like crazy that they'll come to their senses. What does that mean to come to their senses? He came to their, his senses. This is what, what happened in him, and if you just look at verse 17, it kind of tells you what was going on in his mind. He began to discover this inconsolable human longing that nothing on this planet could satisfy because he said, hey, my, hired, my dad's hired servants have more than what I've got. He realized this is an empty way of life. This isn't giving me what I thought I would get. And then he also realizes that he trampled on God's love and wisdom. He says this, I've sinned against heaven and against my father. So he realized by him going out and doing these things, breaking all the rules, so to speak, is that he was trampling on the very love and wisdom of the father. His father had his best interest at heart, and he thought otherwise. He was delusional in his thinking. So him coming to senses, I got this inconsolable longing, And the only way they can be satisfied is not out here in the world, but it can only be on the farm with my father. That's coming to your senses. And then the last part of this is that he realized, I can't earn it. I'm unworthy to be called your son. Now listen to me. When you come to your senses and you come to this place that you're unworthy to be called his son, that's when you become worthy. And you begin to realize it's through Christ I can have that worthiness to be called his son. Romans 6.23, maybe you're familiar with it, you memorized it. It's so easy for us to have these memory verses that just, we just kind of roll through without giving it much thought. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That's you and I. Eternal separation from God. Wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That verse alone, when you understand your sinfulness in light of Christ's provision, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, perfect righteousness, that should create within you, like I said, overwhelming awe and wonder and indebtedness to the father. Now let me ask you this. How do you think the son felt when he was greeted with his father, when his father ran out there and smothered him with kisses? I mean, he had to have been covered with guilt and shame and, and condemnation, and the father smothers him with his affection, puts a robe of righteousness. And I'm thinking if I was in the story, I'd have gone, wait, 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 dude, here, explain yourself. You look like a mess. You're a wreck, dude. Go get a shower first before we sit down and talk. And then I'm going to lecture you for two hours about the lifestyle that you were living. That sounds more like the elder brother, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it does. No, but can you imagine? Think, put yourself in his shoes. Father loves him. 
He thought he was going to find that love out there. He didn't. Robe of righteousness, ring of authority, shoes of sonship, and the implications of all of that. That younger brother must have had a sense of awe and wonder and total indebtedness. You ever think that you need to ever tell that younger brother, hey, you need to stay on the farm, you need to stay close to the father? No, are you kidding? I've already done all that garbage. That's, that's a dead end. That's a mess. Here's the test of whether or not you're truly a younger brother that has come home to the father and you're not an elder brother. Here's the test. This is big. Here's the test. You never lose that awe and wonder and indebtedness even in suffering. So when you go through hard times, and if you're doing like the elder brother's doing, hey, I obeyed you, I did all this, you didn't even throw me apart, why are you allowing this into my life? You're an elder brother. You don't understand what you have in Christ. And I'm telling you, what you have in Christ is, exceeds anything you'll ever experience in this world, good, bad, or ugly. It, it is enough to get you through anything, and, you, and you'll have that sense of indebtedness. I am forever indebted. It doesn't matter how my life goes from this point on. What I have in him is just amazing. And that would be normal Christianity. Here's the next couple thoughts. I've got to keep rolling here. It's not a joyless, pride-filled, motivated, or joyless, pride, or fear-motivated obedience. See, that's the elder brother. I'm just making a distinction between the elder brother. It's not that. Joyless pride or fear-motivated obedience, but a joyful love-motivated obedience. Did, did you hear that from the, from the elder brother? I've done all these things for you. I work my tail off for you. I drop money in the box every week. I go to a small group. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to Desert Breeze. And this is what's going down? Verse 29, look. He's disrespectful to the Father, as I stated. These many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Here's the next one. It's not proud, condemning, and forgiving, but humble, compassionate, and forgiving. The elder brother is proud, condemning, and unforgiving, and he should have been, if he was living in the reality of what he had in the Father, he should be humble, compassionate, and forgiving. Verse 30, but when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you threw a party for him. He should have had pity on him. He should have had pity on him. I think it's defining for us what sin is. Think about this. Sin is the suicidal exchange of feasting on the farm with the Father for the fleeting fun of this world that ends in famine. And he should have pitied his brother. It's like, dude, what the heck were you thinking? But I'm so happy you're home. But man, you were delusional to think you're going to be happier out there than in here. And I've been celebrating the whole time since I've been here because I can't believe you know, the vastness of the Father and what he provides for me. Yeah, I mean, that's, and so he should pity him, not envy him or be mad at him or feel like God, somehow the Father's holding out on him. So let me ask you this. Are you cold and condemning or warm and welcoming to younger brothers? How do you treat younger brothers? I always imagine this. What if the elder brother ran out to the younger brother before the father got to him? He would have beat the living daylights out of him. He said, how dare you take the family's inheritance? Get over here. I'll beat you up. Now go back out there. Figure it out. Get, get cleaned up. And then when you get your act together, you can come back. That's legalism, folks. And there are churches that teach that. You suck. Try harder. There's churches that teach that. There are elder brothers out there. There are elder brothers. There are elder brother churches that, that act and talk like that. Churches filled with elder brothers don't usually reach very many younger brothers, or they turn younger brothers into elder brothers, Pharisees. Elder brothers don't usually last long here. They might last a year or two. Or, 
but then they get ticked off about something I said or did or whatever. Because they, have, they, they strain at the gnats and swallow camels. Is that how that works? Pharisees? Yeah, they detail everything out. It's just like, it's, like it's overwhelming to be around them. They're, they're so legalistic. There's always something wrong. They're always having to lecture somebody. They just don't know the love of God. They're not experiencing his great love for them. They're not living in the reality of that. And I'm telling you, we, we want to be a church of, of younger brothers who have come home and we're enjoying the pleasures of the farm and the Father and all that we have in him. Let me give you a New Testament picture of this. And so I'm just asking you, it's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Which of these two best represents you? The tendency for us as Christians to default towards being an elder brother, I'm just telling you, we have to guard against that. So listen to what uh, Jesus said. Chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 of Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So that's self-righteousness. Guess what? Because of that self-righteousness, sanctimonious attitude, proud, they treated others with contempt. That's an elder brother. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, he prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what difference does it make when we have this robe of righteousness, ring of authority, and shoes of sonship? What is that? What is that? What difference does that make if I'm living in the reality of it? We go back to the story here. And the Father's passion, the Father's presence, the Father's provision. We we experience all of that. And so the Father's passion for you will astound you. Now what's fascinating about this is that... uh, and I know this in my own life, I know it in your life, that we always underestimate God's love for us. We always, I'm telling you, right now, you're underestimating God's love for you, and you can never, never, ever, ever overestimate his love for you. You can never overestimate his love. God is a father unlike you've ever known. And when you look at this story, the father goes out to both sons in order to bring them in. It's the initiating love of God. You're here today because the Father has initiated his love towards you to bring you to himself through Jesus Christ. You're here listening to this message because that's the initiating love of the Father. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. This is the son. Oh, my goodness, this is beautiful. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Here's what I do. When I start feeling beat up by the world, feeling like a failure, feeling condemned, the enemy's coming after me, I always envision this story that the father runs out to me. (laughs) He runs out to me and he embraces me and he loves on me and gives me the robe of righteousness, the ring of authority, shoes of sonship, Now, what's interesting in in this culture is children, youth, and women might run, but a distinguishing Middle Eastern patriarch never ran. It was below them, and yet he shows absolute emotional abandon and smothers him with kisses. Now, it wasn't the repentance. It wasn't the repentance that brought the father's love. It was the father's love that brought the repentance. So the father went out to the 
younger son, but he also goes out to the elder brother. The father goes to him and pleads with him tenderly to come in, showing us it's possible to leave the father without ever leaving the son. You can sit in church week in and week out and still be an elder brother. And the father this morning is tenderly pleading with you. So you got the Father's passion for you will astound you. The Father's presence is better by far than anything he could give to you. And that's based on verse 31. Next two points are based on 31. Remember what the Father said to the elder brother? Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. So the Father's presence is better by far than anything he could give to you. Now, listen to me. Both of the sons wanted the Father's stuff more than they wanted the Father. But I'm telling you, listen to me, intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. Having the Father more than his stuff is absolutely amazing, no matter what he gives you. He's given you enough through the death of his son. Here's the next one. The Father's provision won't spare anything in taking care of you. That's what he, what he means. He says, and all that is mine is yours. I always have your best interest at heart. I never hold out on you. Now, I know that some of you are going through real difficult times. I mean, our church family took a major beating this last week, losing loved ones, people in the hospital in critical care. It's crazy, but I'm here to tell you this morning, no matter what you go through, he always has your best interest at heart. No matter what it looks like on the outside, he's always, always, always working for your good and his glory in the midst of that. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can separate you from his presence. You have the Father's presence. You have all the resources of heaven. That's what he's saying to us. Amazing. Breathtaking. Next weekend, ring of authority. Significance. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders or leaders. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to come to Christ this morning, whether you're a younger brother or elder brother, come to Jesus. I invite you to come to him this morning. I'd love to pray with you in regards to that. If you have any questions about anything that we've talked about this morning, I'd love to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, you, you are a father unlike any other. You have made it possible for us to be right with you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. For our sake, you made Christ to be sin who know no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not just forgiveness of sins, but invited into your home to feast at your table, to be lavished with your love. We pray that younger and elder brothers would come home for Christmas and that we all would be astonished by your passion for us, your presence with us, and your provision for us. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys.